Welcome to the Equipping You in Grace podcast, hosted by Dave Jenkins. The Equipping You in Grace podcast is a podcast about helping Christians develop a biblical worldview in a conversational tone about issues inside and outside the church. Now, for today's episode, let's join our host, Dave Jenkins. Welcome back to the Equipping You in Grace podcast. My name is Dave, and I'm the host for this podcast. And with me today, I have my friend, Dr. Riken. Dr. Riken, welcome back to the Equipping You in Grace podcast, sir. Thank you for inviting me. You're welcome. Well, can you catch us up on what's been going on in your life, marriage, ministry, and what you've been working on since we last talked a few months ago, please, sir? Yes. The last four months have been life-changing ones for my wife and me. We have moved into the big house at a local retirement community. I wrote about downsizing in an article for my church's newsletter, and I was surprised what a widespread chord it struck in the readership. A brief narrative of my downsizing is pretty drastic. I threw most of the physical materials of half a century of teaching into a recycling bin. I have taught my last class having taught at Wheaton College for 52 years happily. I continue to have a steady stream of publishing ventures to keep me busy and productive. I will just add that it has been apparent to me in recent years, as the data flows in from around the globe, that publishing has been my largest contribution to the kingdom. Wonderful, brother. Wonderful to hear that. Well, can you uh, tell us about the, us about your new book, Recovering the Lost Art of Reading, a quest for the true, the good, and the beautiful that you wrote with Glenda, and why you guys both wrote it and how you hope it'll be received? Glenda Mathis is a freelance writer from my hometown of Pella, Iowa. We became acquainted with each other through the world of publishing. And three years ago, when we were both without publishing projects, we came to the conclusion that we should collaborate on a book project. Well, Glenda pushed hard for a book on recovering the lost art of reading. I've written half a dozen books on literature and Christian perspective. I was dubious that the world would tolerate another such book from me. To my amazement, not only was the proposal accepted, but as we have neared the launch date, I have already had half a dozen interviews on the book. So perhaps the thought of reading again is an idea whose time has come. Glenda brings the expertise of a professional writer and a non-academic to the project, and I'm an academic. I would describe our book as a defense for reading literature and a how-to-do-it book that presents the methodology of reading the various literary genres. In 22 chapters, we obviously cover the entire waterfront, and the book has something for everyone. As authors, we hope that adults and parents who have dropped the ball in regard to reading will have their consciences awakened, and that they will come to their senses in seeing that life offers more than they have settled for. Wonderful, brother. That's great to hear. Uh, And I'm very encouraged that um, you've had lots of opportunities to already talk about this important book. Well, why do you think reading is lost in our culture today? That question has two dimensions. Why do we think so? Well, the evidence that reading is lost is abundantly clear. My co-author wrote the chapters on the data proving that reading has almost vanished from most people's lives. I'm going to give anecdotal evidence. Through the years when I have taught home 
summer's odyssey, I require a paper from students on storytelling technique in the odyssey. That's their chance to show that they've mastered the genre of narrative. And in my instructions, I have encouraged students to add a personal touch, recollections of being read to as a child, recollections of curling up with a book. Well, in the first half of my career, I got a steady stream of really endearing vignettes. Then they totally dried up. No wonder children are no longer read to as youngsters. They no longer curl up with a book. How did we lose reading? The answer is simple. People stopped reading with the arrival of the electronic and digital age. Television initiated a slow death, in my view. The computer speeded it up, and the smartphone became an executioner with an automatic machine gun. Time that once went into reading now goes into looking at television and a smartphone. In my view, it is as simple as that. Now, my co-author uncovered a new angle for me when she conceded that from one point of view, people do a lot of reading in our culture in the form of the computer and iPad and smartphone, but this reading has almost nothing in common with reading as traditionally understood. It is not deep reading, as current terminology has it. Reading of the traditional type was so important in people's lives that much of it became a permanent, lifelong possession and treasure. Speed reading is fleeting and does not become a permanent possession. So in multiple ways, reading is indeed lost in our culture. I think that's uh, really, really good. Um, I, I, I know that when I post about books on social media or whatever, I definitely would say people are definitely interested in reading. But the question is, are they going to take the time to read, right? So I think your book is very, very good um, and helpful. Uh, what do you mean by, what do you, what do we lose by not reading quality material and not reading it well? Way back in 1625, essayist Francis Bacon made the claim that reading makes a full person, conversation a ready person, and writing an exact person. Bacon's idea that reading makes a full person has been restated in modern times by C.S. Lewis, whom Glenda and I quote from repeatedly in our book. Lewis wrote that readers do not realize how much they owe to reading until they engage in conversation with a non-reader. Then, says Lewis, suddenly it is obvious what a tiny world non-readers inhabit. For me personally, the greatest gift of reading is its power of transport. Sitting down to read a book and preeminently a work of literature transports me from my world with its pressures and anxieties and preoccupations to another world. It lifts me up, I would have to say almost physically, and draws a boundary around the duties of life. Well, we all need beneficial escapes of this type. And if 20 minutes per day is all that we have at our disposal, that is enough to yield a good reading life. Over my half century of uh, writing, I have been an exponent of the idea that enlightened leisure, enlightened leisure, is a Christian calling in the sense that God expects and commands it. I have often quoted the formula of a Christian leisure theorist that leisure is the growing time for the human spirit. As Glenda and I conceptualized our book, um, we had that in, in view. So what do we lose when we don't read? We lose the growing time for the human spirit. Yeah, I, I know that when I take the time to, to read and to think, uh, it helps me to think deeply about any any subject that I'm reading about. And I really, I really enjoy that so much. Um, 
what would you say to somebody who maybe is struggling with that? You know, they're, they're either not finding time reading or, you know, they like to read, but maybe they just are, you know, they're finding it to be such a duty. Well, I would say several things. First of all, it's an illusion that we don't have time to read. Everyone has some free time. And if it's a struggle to get back into the reading life, I commend 15 or 20 minutes a day. We can all find that. Um, I think we'd be surprised how quickly that morphs into 30 minutes, but it doesn't have to. The important thing is to commit to reading and then to do it. As, as for it being difficult, well, any task, any activity that we start with seems difficult and perhaps is, but the more we master it, the more, uh, the more we can uh, master it and, and do it. Um, I would say a person who sets aside 20 minutes will quickly come to look forward to that time. And a day that doesn't allow the opportunity, I think, will seem as though it's lacking something. I just have great confidence in the reading life to create its own momentum. I would also challenge our listeners to conduct a two-week experiment in which they set aside a minimum of 20 minutes to read. And then after those two weeks, take stock, engage in a little introspection. You can come to your own conclusion about what that has added to your life. I think anyone who gives it a good faith effort will find it very rewarding. I think that's really good counsel. Uh, Why would you consider reading to be an art? Well, I'll be forthright. It was my co-author who brought the terminology of reading as an art and of artful reading to the table. As a teacher of literature, I think more naturally in terms of the competent reader. So I'm going to phrase it that way. Competent reading starts with an understanding of what we are looking at as we read a text. In an oft-quoted statement, C.S. Lewis said that the prerequisite to understanding any item, his examples were opening a cork and touring a cathedral, but it was said in in regard to reading. To understand anything, we have to know what it is and how it was intended to be used. So I would say we need a working definition of what literature is. And I'll just uh, insert, Glenda and I particularly are talking about the reading of literature. Um, So we have to know what literature is, um, and we have to know what the individual literary genres are. Then I want to add something. In addition to a competent reader, and I've just touched the surface there, I want to think in terms of the dedicated reader. The dedicated reader is convinced of the value and the need to read, and then out of that dedicates some time regularly to reading. Uh, To be a reader, a person needs to set aside time, even a small amount of it, Uh, The crucial act is to do what God in a creation story there in the book of Job did regarding the ocean. He said, no more. You stay in your domain. Well, we have to say that to the duties of life for at least 15 or 20 minutes on days that allow that. Yeah, I think that's uh, I think that's really, really good. Um, You know, recapture what reading does is it helps us to, you know, recapture, you know, it helps us get into the world of somebody else's thought, you know, especially as they're thinking about uh, thinking of like theology, for example, right? It helps us. Absolutely. Um, Let me put some other big sounding words on the table. Self-transcendence, self-transcendence. We are lifted beyond ourselves. And um, Elizabeth Gooch said in an introduction to an anthology of devotional poetry, one of the gifts of reading is self-forgetfulness. I agree. The old formula, losing ourselves in a book, 
gets it accurately. We, we need to get beyond ourselves and to enter someone else's world and receive what that world has to offer us. Yeah, that's really good. How does the, the, the true, the good, and the beautiful apply to reading? Well, as Glenda and I conceptualized our book, and again, I want to say it's 22 chapters, it covers the whole territory, I was just gratified to see how quickly this time-honored triad of the true, the good, and the beautiful became an organizing framework. So let me break it down. Uh, the idea, the, the, uh, the uh, form of truth that literature gives us preeminently is not ideas, but truthfulness to life or truthfulness to human experience. Literary authors are skilled observers of life. They just are. They record what they see. So when we read what they put before us, we are contemplating life. We are staring at human experience so we come to see it clearly. So that knowledge in the form of right seeing is particularly the kind of truth that literature and the sister art of painting give us. The category of the good has to do with the morality portrayed in literature and even more the moral effect on us as readers. And the category of beauty takes us into a whole further sphere. Literature is an art form. It is the display of craftsmanship. It's a form of entertainment. So if we can be entertained by skill and, let us say, athletics, we can be similarly entertained by the skill of the author. So the true, the good, and the beautiful is what the reading of literature stands ready to offer us. That's uh, that's really good, really good. What impact does not reading well have on our spiritual lives? Well, you'll understand this is a very large topic. I wrote the chapter in our book on literature and the spiritual life, and it's a very important chapter in our design. Uh, as I take stock in the spiritual input into my life during the eight decades of my life, it's obvious that my reading has been a major input into my spiritual life. Through the years, I've made the claim to my students that virtually anything we read can be read devotionally, even when that's not an author's aim. It's up to us to open the door into reading devotionally. But your question has to do with what is the impact of not reading? Well, it's a missed opportunity of massive proportions, and missed opportunities are always sad. If we do not read If we do not read literature, we miss the truth, goodness, and beauty that reading imparts. That's a summary statement only, and our book fills it up. That's uh, that's really, really good. How can we become better readers? Um, first of all, we need to be coped. Uh, from start to finish, our book on recovering the lost art of reading is a how-to-do-it book that imparts the right methods for reading various genres of literature. So we need, to, we need someone to take us by the hand, someone who knows about reading and text, and, and say, look, here's, here's how to do it. Uh, I would say, secondly, we need to have concentration. To read literature, we need to concentrate or read any book, what's in front of us. I find so interesting that the following survey was conducted. Students were divided into three categories as they took a test. One category left their smartphones at the door. They did best. Another group of students took their smartphone in but had it turned off. They did less well. Students who went in with their smartphones on, even though they didn't answer them, did least well. We need to protect reading time from inroads and distractions, so concentration. And I would say, thirdly, to be a better reader, we have to rid ourselves of this 
syndrome of speed reading, as encouraged by the smartphone, for example. To read any book, including a religious book, we need to read slowly and thoughtfully. That's how we can become a better reader. Yeah, that's that's really, really helpful. Really helpful. What advice do you have for parents on how to teach their children to love to read, especially in a world full of technology? I would say first that parental example is what determines whether or not children become readers. It's as simple as that. Parents need to assume the position of authority and nurture that God has delegated to them. Again, I would challenge any parent to undertake a two-week experiment of either enforcing their children's reading or reading as part of a family activity, and then at the end of it, take stock. Uh, I would appeal to what I call enlightened self-interest. Don't we want to rise higher than the level that we see around us? Don't we want more than that for our children? And I would say that if children object to reading rather than playing video games, I would appeal to their self-interest. More importantly, I would establish a practice of oral reading of a book at a set time in the evening, maybe after the meal. If children won't read for themselves, we need to read to them. Even if they're teenagers, a chapter a day or 10 pages a day is enough. Uh, For the last half year, my wife and I have had the practice of Mary reading a chapter from a Narnia story or from Great Expectations, and I come to look forward to it. Uh, Reading in Victorian times and after was a family event. We can we can restore that, and it doesn't have to be a big outlay of time. Let me say. Yeah, that's that's really really good. Well, you know, there's a lot that we haven't covered in the course of this interview about this topic, Doctor Reichen. And just as we wrap up today, do you have a few takeaways for our listeners? I would say God wants us to be all that we can be. His desire for us is not mere existence but abundance. The abundant life is above all and ultimately a spiritual thing, but it has application to our reading. God is not honored by endless time spent on a smartphone or a child endlessly playing computer games. He expects more from us than mindless forms of entertainment and leisure pursuits. Our free time, even if it is 15 minutes in a busy day, can be the growing time for the human spirit. Very good, Dr. Reichen. Well, guys, we are talking with Dr. Reichen today about his new book, The Lost Art of Reading. I encourage you to pick it up. It's very helpful. Dr. Reichen, thank you so much for your time today, and may God continue to bless you. You're welcome. Thank you for listening to the Equipping You and Grace podcast. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe, rate us on the app, and share this with your friends and family on social media. If you want to find us on social media, you can find us on Twitter at Servants of Grace, on Instagram at Servants of Grace, or by searching at Servants of Grace on Facebook. You can also find this episode and many others like it on the front page of our website, servantsofgrace.org.